Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest tonight is David Sisk. He is our basketball recruiting analyst at VandySports.com. This episode presented by Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center. Wellspire offers personal and professional development opportunities in a beautiful facility in the Gulch neighborhood. Stop by for an event with world-renowned speakers or host an off-site event that will wow your team or your clients. We thank our co-presenting sponsor, The Well Coffee House, which turns coffee into water and has a mission to bring clean water to the world. Our news presented by Sutherland and Belk, an SEC sports-loving injury firm in Nashville. These guys will shoot you straight on your rights and options. When you've been injured in an accident, call them at 615-846-6200 to get your questions answered. You can also visit them online at sbinjurylaw.com. Well, a big get for Coach Jerry Stackhouse and the men's basketball staff, Tyron Lawrence, who is a guard from Sunrise Christian Academy, a combo guard at that, has committed to Vanderbilt. He is the number 139 player in the 2020 class and will be on campus next fall. The guest line presented by Bowling Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. Had no clue what I was missing until I got Bowling Branch sheets. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That's spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get $50 off your first set of sheets. David Sisk is with us now. He covers hoops recruiting for us at VandySports.com. David, thank you for joining us. Lots going on with Vanderbilt Recruiting, and we are thankful you are here to help us break that down. Well, I'm glad you had me, Chris. Uh, it's been a while, but I understand, man. You you really went places with a podcast, and you're bringing in the heavy hitters. So, uh, uh, But not today. I'm glad you could go back to the lightweights. <laughs> well, you are not a lightweight. I'm just glad we have something positive to talk about because other than baseball, it's just been a never-ending stream of uh, not-so-good stories. But one today, I think, with Vanderbilt landing the commitment of Kansas's, I guess he's actually from Georgia, Tyron Lawrence. What is the significance of that? How good of a player do you think he can be? Well, I think it's significant on two fronts. Number one, it gives you uh, recruiting momentum. And this definitely does that. But and I've tried to compare it to Bryce Drew's first class. You know, Bryce Drew's recruiting was much uh, ballyhooed, really. And uh, you know, he brought in uh, two top 150 players in his first uh, year there, and in Jerry Stackhouse's first full year, he's brought in two top 150 players uh, along with Miles Stute out of the Washington, D.C. area. And actually, if you go back and look at Isaac McBride in the 2019 class that's transferring into Kansas, there will be three freshmen coming in next year who are uh, top 150 in their respective classes. So I think there's something to be said for that. Like I said, I think uh, a lot of Vanderbilt fans, just they needed something good to hear. And that certainly, like I said, helps build momentum. I think if you look at him as a player, I've talked to Corey Evans about this. And – You've got to remember when when, when uh, Tyron came out of high school, originally out of the state of Georgia, 
Um, he was in the 2019 class, and all he had was mid-major offers. So he went the uh, prep school route, went and played the post-grad team at uh, at uh, Sunrise, Sunrise Christian. Christian. Yep. Right, Sunrise Christian Academy in Bel Air, Kansas. And, uh, you know, they've got a great track record. That's really kind of turned in. I hate to put it this way because, you know, there's certainly more than that. But basketball-wise, I kind of really turned into a factory there. And, uh, you know, it, it worked for him. Uh, he improved. Uh, people got to see him. And, uh, you know, I, I talked to Corey Evans today. And I, I went back and watched tape. I've never seen him play live. And I, I know that Corey had said originally that from the time he saw him in Georgia to play with Sunrise, he's gotten a lot more athletic. And his words was a lot more bouncier. And I watched the tape of him this year, some of his games and, and action at Sunrise Christian. And, man, he really did look bouncy. He's about 6'4", uh, just attacking the rim, uh, playing over the rim. Had a decent-looking shot. I, I really couldn't tell. The reason I say decent, I couldn't tell how good because it, it was really hard to tell from the camera angle. But I like the way he holds his follow-through. Uh, ball looks like it's in a good spot. But I just kept having these thoughts that said, uh, man, he kind of looks like Saban Lee a little bit. But I got to see Saban live uh, and obviously not Tyrion. So, you know, I, I texted back and forth with Corey this afternoon. And I, I said, all right, fill me in just a little bit what you think. And he said, just electric first step, an explosive around the rim. I said, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Do you see some? Uh, Saban Lee in his game and he said uh, actually I do uh, he says probably a better playmaker sets the table a little bit better but he has some of that uh, athletic ability to size 6'4 you know a bigger combo guard and an explosive first step plays over the rim so you know he, he could uh, be a, a cut out that mold yeah, Saban is an interesting comparison. I don't know that that's who he reminds me of. I'm not sure who he reminds me of. I don't think he's as explosive a leaper as Saban is, although he's certainly fair in that category. But I do think what you said, I think he does have more of a knack for finding players. I think there's a little bit more natural point guard to him, whereas Saban, to me, was just this quick twitch explosive high jumping athlete that really even until this year we weren't quite sure what he was as a player so um i can see some of the similarities but i'm with you i think it's not an exact comp for sure right and you know it's a good good uh, comparison you made there or actually a contrast um he has some of that saban was kind of in between positions yeah and obviously, you know, Corey said he sets the table better. He wouldn't call him a point guard. You know, he's, uh, you know, Corey's adamant that he's a, a combo type. But if that's the case, uh, he might lean more toward the one a little bit more. So he, he, he may have a little bit truer position. And, you know, that's going to be welcome because um, you're looking at having somebody come in and, and spell uh, uh, Scotty Pippen at the ball handling spot some and, and, and kind of go in and out and give him a rest. And, and obviously you're building depth and that's always a good thing. 
You know, he reminds me of something maybe, and I hate to say this because it's a highlight film, right? And we see the best. But from what I saw on there of his attributes, maybe something like a Jermaine Beal, probably with the better shot, but with a little bit more athleticism. That's kind of what was running through my head as I watched him. Yeah, and you know, you'll go back, and I think from guards from yesteryear, and and be able to think of uh, probably several guys or, or guys even on other teams. And you made a good point. So it was kind of a highlight film, and you have to be careful of those. But really, the thing that I kind of looked at was uh, obviously he finished around the rim so much, and it was obviously that he, you know he, he's got that knack, and he can get up. You know, he he, he can get off the ground, and and I like to. I wanted to look at that shot, not necessarily where I thought it went in, but kind of look at the form a little bit. So, you, you know, like you say, you've got to be careful of highlight uh, videos, but I, I think it gave us a little bit to look at. Yeah, and when I watched his highlight, I thought at first he was pretty good at going to his right. I realized later when I watched the highlight film, some of the highlights were him dishing and not him shooting. The video was a little bit far away, and you weren't always sure who was who unless you – had a good view of the number, which you always didn't. But I think the criticism of him is he's very left-handed, which I can see. And again, that's a highlight film. There may be in, may have been plenty of clips of his going to his right that we didn't see. But is there any thought that you've heard from people who have seen him play a lot as to that matter? No, not really. And I'll be honest with you. I think if you can handle the ball, you can get out of that. Um, you know, I know a lot working with high school kids, you know, you can, uh, you take a kid that comes into high school and they're, they're one handed and, you know, you can, uh, a lot of times it's a creature of habit. They can go with the other hand. They just won't do it. And, uh, I, I think with him being able to go back to that other hand, uh, I'll tell you something else too, Chris, in high school, sometimes, especially for athletic guys, they don't have to go back to that other hand. I mean, you, you could be a right-handed kid and come down and, and like Larry Bird used to, you know, the, the old stories, he used to tell his defender, next time I'm going to get the ball, I'm going to take one dribble to the left, shoot a pull-up jumper, and, and you can't stop me. And that's what he'd do, and he'd score. And I think that's, you know, kind of the case sometimes for guys coming out of high school. They've been able to go with the ball wherever they want to do. So if they want to go left and they're left-handed, you know, they'll go left, and, and the defense really doesn't get in their way. So, yeah, I, I, that, that's kind of the way I look at it. I, I think as far as ball handling goes, I think that can be corrected because if they're good enough to handle the ball to, to get in college, I think they can get it to where they go with either hand. They just got to get in the habit of doing it. Well, he's smooth and he's fluid and he's athletic, and that's a really good start towards picking up on being adept with that other hand. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, I, I I feel like he's. I see no reason why he shouldn't have. Let me put it that way: the ability to be able to to you know go with both hands. How sought a player was he? I know the final three were Cal and Ole Miss and Vanderbilt. It sounded to us like Ole Miss maybe was wanting a different position. I'm not going to say they backed off or jerked the offer, but you know how recruiting goes this late in the game. You don't have many spots, and sometimes it is a function of who's got room for you, which can cloud how good a player really is. I mean, he was ranked 139 and the rivals 150, which is probably the answer as to how good a player I he is. He but come up a yeah. little bit. 
Yeah, I mean, watching, again, watching his attributes on film, which you have to be careful about, in terms of just the talent of what we saw, he looked legit to me in that regard. I think this late in a recruiting season, and you got to remember, it's crazy right now. With all the graduates, the transfers, transfers, I mean, I, I just, I could, uh, I think most schools are in a situation like Vanderbilt. They don't have a lot of spots left. Uh, and, you know, they're trying to make the decision of who they want to take. And sometimes it's first come, first serve. But I'll give you an example. And I think Cal was kind of in that place. Uh, but Ole Miss, Kermit Davis has probably offered more transfers. If you just get on Twitter and look, uh, Chris Lee transferring from whatever school, his suitors are, and you start naming off schools, I guarantee you Ole Miss is going to be in the middle of it. There's no many, there's no telling how many transfers that they've contacted for one, and secondly, uh, you know, that they've been pretty serious with. So I think this was kind of a situation. I think they wanted maybe a bigger wing. It was something they were looking at. But I think they were, they were about six or seven players that they were very serious about. I think Tyrion was one of them, and I believe it was kind of a first-come, first-served deal. And I think if you're Tyrion and you look at it, you're probably thinking, you know, Vanderbilt probably wants me a little bit more than Ole Miss does. It didn't mean that uh, Ole Miss wanted him any less, but it, it was just one. He, he was one of six or seven guys. So I, I think if you're Jerry Stackhouse, you can look at him and say, hey, you know, you're in a very small group of, of kids that we're going after here at Vanderbilt. Yeah, from what I know, I don't see any downside or anything other than they got a good player. I think that's end of story there. And a guy who they really need. I mean, they need a little bit of everything right now. The the rest of the class, to me, boy, there are a lot of ranges of possibilities with some of these kids. Let's start with Miles Studi. I think we've called him Stude. I was listening to his video on the audio of the other day, and the PA guys were calling him Miles Studi. So I guess that's the correct pronunciation. The takes on him are all over the board. I've had a couple of people that tell me they hear he's a mid-major player. His numbers at Gonzaga Prep this year weren't very good. Now, he's playing against outstanding competition and with several other good teammates. And so it's important that we don't lose context. But he averaged 10 points a game. To me, he looked like kind of a a garbage man a little bit inside with a bit of a three-point stroke. Hard to tell how efficient he was because, again, we saw the makes. But I thought his stroke looked good. On the other hand, Corey Evans has really liked him. He's seen him a lot. I think we trust Corey's judgment. The other complicating factor with Miles Studi, David, is the fact that he was transitioning from more of a power forward role to a small forward role. So you've got to take that into account too. But how do you size him up as a prospect for Vanderbilt? And I think that's a big part. If you look at him, you would think, especially with his weight, you would think, okay, this is a power forward. And that's what I thought when really they first got in pretty heavily on him. But like you said, and that, that's a key point, he was making the transition really from a power forward to a small forward and moving his game out on the floor. So that's one thing. That takes a little bit of time. But the other thing, uh, and his high school coach was, was really adamant about this, is 
he said Miles had taken the role of uh, really a, a, a kind of a role player that, that we had given him, and it never, wasn't necessarily his game. He said, but he accepted that role, and he was more of a leader. And, and what they needed him more for was the defense, was the rebounding, I think maybe to set the table a little bit offensively. Uh, they had scores on the team. And I think, you know, in his senior season, he kind of uh, took the back, you know, the back seat. He knew he'd already signed his scholarship. He didn't have to go out and prove to colleges uh, what he could do, and he was all in on his high school team. And so uh, sometimes I know we can get caught up in numbers, but Corey and his high school coach both, they don't seem to think that, that's something to worry about. Like you say, Corey says changing positions. He can shoot the ball out there. And and uh, the Gonzaga prep coach really did not put him in a position where, you know, he wanted him to score. He wanted him to do other things. How legit do you think the listed offers were? Hey, Chris, can yeah. I add this too? Let me sure. Add this too. Sometimes we look at this stuff, and, and, and I, I know, for, for example, and I'm going to go ahead and admit I was on the EYBL circuit, and I didn't think that he had a snowball's chance of being able to contribute anything. And I thought he was too heavy at the wing position. I just didn't think he could move well enough. And I've made that statement on the uh, on the Vanderbilt boards before, and our readers know that. There'll be people that's listening to this say, yeah, he said that. So, and I'll be the first one to admit I was wrong. He was much better last year than I'd ever thought. He's just going to get better. Grant Williams was kind of like that. You know, guys, you're looking at guys in that 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, range, and they're changing spots and they're changing their body a little bit. So, you know, I've been wrong enough on guys like that, you know, to sell Miles Studi short because I just think that's a hard size and a hard frame and, and, and a hard position uh, to, to handicap. Well, you weren't the only one. As I pointed out, opinions on him have been really mixed. The other thing I'm wondering about was the offer sheet. There's been some questions about that. It was a good-looking offer sheet, but I know that he committed to Vanderbilt before visiting an official that he had lined up to Florida, which I guess begs some questions as to whether that offer was still on the table. What do you think in terms of what his offers really were near the end? Now, are you talking about Miles? Yes. Yeah. Well, I would have to. I'm actually driving in a car right now. I would have to go back and look at those. But I know this. I, I know that, that, that he was really impressed with a visit. If you go back and look at his family structure, and I, I know his high school coach talked a lot about that. His dad is, is an attorney in Washington, D.C., and I even think he was maybe involved, and I may be wrong here, maybe involved in sports agency a little bit. But if you go read his the bios of his parents and his family, I mean, they are top of the line. And I think he was one of those kids, not only with him, but his family, they knew what they wanted, not just from a basketball program, but from a school, from that school's environment. And I think they got to Vanderbilt and were just like, hey, this is what I want. I, there was a lot more to it than basketball with Miles. And I, I just think if he would have been one of those kids 
and he would have ended up with a Kentucky and a Kansas offer, and he had all those on the table, he would have visited Vanderbilt, and he would have committed while he was there because he, he's just – you know, people don't like maybe the term Vanderbilt type. You know, and I use that loosely, but, man, I, I'm going to tell you, he, you talk about a well-rounded kid with a well-rounded family. Very impressive. Well, you mentioned some important things because fit's a big deal. I look back at Kevin Stylings, and most of his career, he was great about recruiting kids who weren't McDonald's All-Americans, but fit at Vanderbilt, could do what he wanted to do, came from good backgrounds, would do the work in the classroom, those sorts of things. I hear a lot of commonality in what you're saying and the kinds of kids that won for Kevin at Vanderbilt, where Kevin got in trouble was about 10 years ago when I think he laxed off in recruiting and they started bringing in kids who had some off-court issues, maybe weren't great students. So I think that's an important fit. That and being ready for the competition level and the challenge, I mean, I think a lot of it is maturity and those sorts of things and being ready for kids who are better than you. It sounds like with everything you're saying that the intangibles from what we know would suggest a lot of positive things in that regard. Yeah. And I would say this too, when I say Vanderbilt type of kid, I think it gets misconstrued sometimes that uh, the kid is selling themselves to Vanderbilt in a way that, Hey, this is the kind of kid that we're looking for. But I think in this case, and I think it's probably more importantly, that I think a lot of times Vanderbilt has to sell itself to that kid and that family because I think probably the studies looked at this and said, okay, there's there's going to be a certain type of school and program that we're looking for, and we've got to find that fit, if that makes sense. And I think Vanderbilt, I think it's more, well, Vanderbilt being – the studies type of school and program than him being the Vanderbilt type of kid. And I'll say one other thing too. I think Jerry Stackhouse is trying to surround himself with players with tough kids, tough minded kids. That's the thing I see a lot of these. There's not a whole lot of finesse ones uh, coming in or he's associating himself with, with who are not, you don't hear the term hard nosed or all. And that's the one thing, I think it stuck out. I mean, we already knew that Miles was a tough-minded type of player, but then, you know, in high school, you know, he just sells it out and does the little things, getting loose balls and and doing all the things that don't show up in the score sheet. So um, I think, you know, that's the thing that really is attractive to Jerry Stackhouse too. You know, he is going to have tough kids in his program. What in the world do you make of Isaac McBride? I don't know yet, uh, you know, from what we understand, you know, he's going to enroll. Uh, it's it's hard to say from Kansas, you know, you're there one week and you leave. I have heard that, um, you know, that when he got there, that he, he was, I think he was at a Christian school and he, he was, uh, uh, Bill Self was a little bit too demonstrative for him. And uh, he didn't handle that well, and he got out. Uh, so I'm in a rest. I don't know. I, I, I have heard 
you know, you players that we talked about, I've kind of heard the same way with Isaac. I've heard some people say that, you know, that, that the rating systems missed the ball on him, that, that, you know, that they had him ranked higher than he should have been. You know, I don't know enough about that yet. We're going to see he had good high school numbers, but uh, I, I want to see how he fits in. And if, if what I have heard is the case, is he tough enough to take uh, the coaching of uh, Jerry Stackhouse? Well, he, on one hand, was the Gatorade Player of the Year in Arkansas. On the other hand, he played at a small school. But then he lit up the AAU circuit and blew up, and that's yeah. how he got on Kansas's radar. But then on the rebound, Arkansas, which had openings at the time, I believe, did not offer him a scholarship. I think he might have visited or had talked about visited, but ultimately they passed. So there's just mixed signals all over the place on that one. And plus, I think that the, the worry that I'm not – I'm not 100% sure he's been admitted to school yet either. Eric Bossy told me that, and, and, uh, and he didn't tell me this other stuff, but when we, we asked about uh, players that, uh, you know, they were uh, kind of looking at, and, and, and let's say just Isaac being at Kansas, he said uh, one thing. He said there's not a better talent evaluator in college basketball than Bill Self. You know, Bill Self very rarely misses. So, that, you know, and he, he was good enough to, uh, you know, to get offered at Kansas. So, you know, you get offered at Kansas, I mean, you know, nobody's going to confuse his basketball talent with mine. So, um, you know, all this remains to be seen. You know, obviously not played last year. There's a lot of variables here uh, that will have to work their way out. Yeah, I think that one is a complete wild card. Now, the other thing, too, their recruiting class, so to speak, I don't know if you want to count them for last year or this year or what. It really does not matter. But they got two transfers coming in. Quentin Malore Brown, I hear, is an okay player. I don't think he's a, a difference maker. Was pretty efficient at Rice and Conference USA, and I always liked that kind of player. DJ Harvey, a kid who was a top 50 recruit or maybe borderline top 50 recruit, maybe just outside out of high school, went to Notre Dame, played two years, I think started one, uh, did not have great efficiency numbers, and that wasn't a very good team either. Uh, but a year away from the game, uh, I think he is a hard-nosed defensive type player that Jerry loves. At least it seems like that's the case. So that's another one where I'm really interested to see what they are getting in him. Yeah, and I think Quentin's going to add post-depth. You can't ever have enough of that. And, I mean, you, you know, they're just one injury. I mean, look at last year. You know, you're, you're one play away from being down to really one post player. And uh, I think Educate uh, probably played better than, than what we expected. So, obviously, you know, they, they need to add players there and, and need to add depth. So, I think, you know, I, you, know you average 10 points a game as a freshman and at Rice, yeah, I think you could come in and, and – do some things. I don't know if you're going to set the league on fire, but I, I, like I say, I think you can add some depth to that spot. I, I, I'm excited about G, DJ Harvey. I knew that name from when he was in high school and watched him some at Notre Dame. Uh, you know, they needed bigger wings, especially with Aaron D. Smith out. I mean, if you look at the way the roster's kind of stacked, um, you know, and, that, and that's one place where Miles could come in too. He can play that three, three, four slash maybe a little bit. They need bigger wings, but DJ, uh, that's what they needed because it, let's say everybody, let's say everybody came back and everybody got enrolled. 
so you're looking at guys in between that six four and six foot range as Isaac Bride, as Scotty Pippen, as Saban Lee, as Max Evans, as Tyron Lawrence. So they're kind of top heavy. You know, they're still in on Kerwin Walton. So, you know, they're kind of top heavy on that side. So they need some bigger perimeter players. And I you mentioned defense. I think that's important because you've got to be able to match up with with uh you know, there's a lot of six six wings in the Southeastern Conference. You gotta have some guys out there who can guard them. And I had a, a high school coach tell me one time, you know, we were talking about uh players just being able to guard different positions and play different positions and the way it is now and, and, and you look for versatility and he says, uh you all are who you you can guard. Yeah, and the plan for Jerry, of course, was to build around defense, and it didn't happen. But, you know, that, that yeah. wasn't necessarily his yeah. fault either. You you're, you play the hand you're dealt. Yeah. So, you know, and, and he was saying if you play, you're supposed to guard anybody from a, or play any position from a two through a four, and, and you can't guard a power forward, well, guess what? You're not a power forward. So, you right. know, I, I think having him – and that mindset, that defensive mindset in a bigger wing frame is something that they're going to need. Uh, I think that's a very important part for next year. I think we've all presumed they are getting Cleavon Brown back yet, but have you heard anything there? No, I haven't, but I, I, here's what I think. Now, I don't have anything concrete to go on here. And I could have somebody that knows could call me up tonight and say, that's the biggest crock I've ever heard of what you said. But um, I kind of think that he could have come back and played, but he had that ninth game in. They did not want to do anything, I believe, that far in to, you know, they give him a complete senior year and do anything to damage a red shirt. One thing I was going to say, and I wish I could remember the player's name, but I saw it on the ESPN ticker today. He was in the same situation. He played seven games last year. He got injured, and the NCAA granted him a year, another year of eligibility to come back and play next year. Here's the interesting part. It's got to do with Cleveland. He had already registered a year, so this was his sixth year coming up. So he had played seven games he was looking at a red shirt uh because of an injury so now you know he's going uh, it's very similar to what Cleavon, you know is going with he's going into his uh he played nine games he's going into his sixth year so they've shown that they will give if this is a precedent they will give a red shirt to a player who's injured to come back for a sixth year i thought that was very positive well, I don't think that's the question because I believe he meets all the criteria. It's 30% of the games. He played nine out of 31, which is just a hair under that. I think it's just, did he make the decision to come back? And I heard conflicting things all year. But to me, when they didn't have a senior day for him and he didn't play anymore this year, that was probably, the, I'm not going to say the tell because I don't know, but that suggests to me that he is back next year. Yeah, and, and they could use him. And, Chris, you're probably like me. 
uh, and a lot of the fans were a lot of people out there listening. You watch Vanderbilt play last year, and they had all these close games and games that they almost won. And I wasn't even thinking about man, if we'd have had Aaron Neesmith that won the game, I was thinking, gosh, they'd had Cleveland Brown, they could have pulled that one off. And you know, there's probably three or four games like that. And I think he's by far their best post player. And, and you know, that's it, you know, guys who are good inside players, you know, hard to come by. So I, I think that's a would be a great win-win situation for Jerry Stackhouse and Vanderbilt, you know, if he comes back. Well, and the other thing, too, the league called a disproportionate number of fouls last year compared to the other leagues. Of course, the guys that usually get called for more fouls are bigs. Missing a big in that spot was just really bad timing. Yeah, and you get into those calls. I I watched, uh, I, I do some work for the Minnesota side, too, and you know, watching those Big Ten games and the difference in in officiating in the SEC and the Big Ten. I mean, the Big Ten they're just mauling each other in the paint. They let them play, and any they very rarely foul out. I mean, you're you're you'll watch a half and a half time, and one team's got four fouls called on them, or one team's got five. And heck, you get in the SEC, I've got the first three minutes. Uh, so. You know, that, that, uh, to me, and I guess it's a whole different subject, but, you know, officiating as you say, gets pretty frustrating at times. Yeah, I saw teams in the bonus before a half was over more than once this year. But oh, let's, yeah. Um, let's go to the mailbag because there's a lot of questions here that need to be answered. Our mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt Fan and independent insurance agent Josh Minton of Brentwood. If you need home, auto, motorcycle, renters, landlord, life, or commercial insurance, Josh can help you out. Call him at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Facebook at J.D. Minton HQ. He is my insurance agent. Try him out, and I think you'll like what you get. Okay, Mr. Vandy says, who do you think Vanderbilt has the best shot of getting to sign during the spring and will be a transfer or an incoming freshman. I think that means after what went down today. So who is the best prospect that they have a chance with right now, whether that be a freshman or a high school or a prep school recruit? I'd say right now, Kerwin Walton. And um, I don't know, honestly, what this does in his recruitment. Uh, Kerwin is about 6'5", elite shooter. Uh, out of Minneapolis, and uh, he is, um, like I said, an elite shooter, but I think Vanderbilt was looking at him as, as a point guard, and I don't know where the Tyron Lawrence thing, I don't know if they say, hey, there's room for both, we want both guys, I really don't know, and, and in his recruitment anyway, nobody is sure um where he's going to go, um, you know, I, I I talked to a lot of people on that, and nobody, the only person knows for sure it was it was a coach and a high school coach up there, and he said I I don't uh, I don't think he knows what he wants to do, and you know even anybody around that city that you talk to, AAU coaches, friends, people that know him, they 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 have no idea, um, so. Uh, that doesn't mean before this that Vanderbilt would have gotten him. But I, 
you know, he's down to six schools that he's announced, Creighton, Arizona, North Carolina, Minnesota, Vanderbilt, and there's somebody else. Georgetown. He knows who you know who who has been in the lead, who or if anybody is even in the lead right now. Uh, the other guy would be William Jeffers Jr. out of Erie, Pennsylvania, power forward. Uh, he's going to announce soon. In fact, I saw that on Twitter today. Uh, I've not been able to get in touch with him. I've been trying to get his father. Uh, but he was kind of in a boat well, like Tyrone. He was going to take a spring official to uh, Vanderbilt before all this happened. So he's kind of a side unseen guy. You know, Pitt's pretty much the kind of the hometown school there. So Vanderbilt may have to overcome that. So I don't know. I mean, there's there's guys that they have shots at, but, you know, the way things are falling right now, I don't know if there's an individual that, they're in the lead for as far as uh, uh, transfers and, and all that goes. Um, I don't know of anybody, uh, and there may be some out there. I've got to check through that and to see now if there's somebody that they're really, really serious on. They've reached out to a guy or two, but I haven't heard about them being in the lead for anybody. Harley Hog 44 says, what are you hearing from recruits on the process in which Jerry Stackhouse is reaching out to them? Um, what, what do you mean by the process? What, what do you think he means there? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess maybe means volume. I don't know. I, all I can go by lately is Lawrence said that they'd been talking to him a lot which is kind yeah. of a change from the way they were earlier. That's been the knock that everybody knows. So, Well, I know they're doing like now, and I'll approach this from one or two angles. If you're talking about, you know, well, Corona and all that, I think you've been doing like a lot of college programs. You know, they've been – they've had to adjust. They've been doing a lot more texting, a lot more phone calls. Obviously, you can't do the visits. They're doing the virtual tours now, so – you know, I think the coaches get. You know, they'll they'll go to FaceTime or whatever, and uh, they will they'll hop in the golf cart. And they'll, they'll give the campus tour. You know, walking around the buildings or driving around in the golf cart. You know, giving a uh, just a virtual tour over the phone. So I think that's one thing, and uh, and obviously it's worked well. And, and I, now that I think about it with that question, it's it's probably a good time to ask that because Tyron Lawrence, you know, signed Vanderbilt. Uh, side unseen, he did not take an official visit. He was like Jefferson. In fact, he did not take an official visit to Ole Miss or Vanderbilt either one. But they were both cows. So, you know, that's me. Without him ever setting a foot on campus. So, that's big. Um, uh, one other thing, too, I, I just – I think they, you know, early on, there were so many West Coast kids that they're going after, and they still do that. But I think they've started to balance that out as, you know, the entire staff's kind of got a feel for this area. You know, they've been here over a year now. So you're seeing more East Coast um, uh, uh, offers, guys that are recruiting pretty heavily down in Georgia, things like that. So I think I think the geography aspect of it's kind of evened out as well. Well, the situation there, David Grace is the only one of the three assistants who has recruited before, and his ties are mostly on the West Coast, uh, to which I'll ask you this question from Vandy1995. 
Grace seems to be the only assistant on the road. Who on that staff would you say is the number two recruiter? Wow, oh, man, that's that's tough right now to say because nobody's on the road. Uh, and you don't know if you get through the first year and through it if, if there were going to be some different assignments or anything. Uh, you know, I, I, I know for Roger Phillip, so, you know, he's been in, uh, he's been a lead recruiter on some of these kids, you know, he's been in, uh, on some of those hards. So, you know, that would have to be my guest too. Uh, Andy Fox is, you know, the recruiting coordinator and he, you know, he's putting in good work too. But, you know, if I had to pick that next guy, it would probably be for Roger. But I know this, you and I have talked about this, you know, Jerry Stackhouse is big about it being a, a team effort and not coming down to an individual recruiter or an individual assistant coach. So, you know, he kind of frowns on that. So, you know, he, he, uh, he wants it to be considered, uh, you know, a group effort. And uh, that, like I said, that's really what I think. I think they've got a lot of people involved. Uh, next question, thoughts on what Jerry Stackhouse needs to do to get the commits they need to turn the program around? I think one thing, Chris, and you've been big on this, I think the uh, school and athletic departments, well, not necessarily athletic department, I think it's got to come from the top of the school. I think there's some commitments that they've got to make. I think uh, eventually it comes down to where uh, you know, what you've got to offer as far as facilities and things like that are, are a big situation. And I think over time, like I said, I mean, if you look right now, if you want to count uh, uh, the transfer from Kansas in right now, I mean, there's three kids who are all top 150 kids and three that he signed. I don't think you can look at last year's freshman that he brought in. I mean, they just had to fill a roster quickly. They were desperate. So, you know, he they put a dent in it this year. I think next year, you know, he's had two full years. That's going to be interesting to see who he can bring in that class. But, you know, and I know you've had, I would say, another subject for another day. I know you spent a lot of days on this one, Chris. But I, I think I think investment from uh, uh, the university into the basketball program is probably what needs to be done more than anything. Yeah, good luck with that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think on his end, look, he had no idea what he was doing when he came in, right? He missed the spring recruiting period or a lot of it because he didn't know any better. I think his the way that he put his staff together was ill-conceived because of what he knows is the pros and you go with what you know. The thing to me that's interesting is he could turn this around. He's just going to have to figure out what it takes to be a college coach uh, that that means you're going to be out on the road more than you probably want to be. I just honestly don't think that that's his favorite thing to do. I, I don't think it's pounding the pavement and calling kids and those things. So to me, it's not a question of does he have the ability. It's a, what does he want to do? Does he want to stick this out? And if so, um, you know, is he willing to do those things or is he more interested in, in – leading kind of the pro lifestyle, which is a lot different. So again, I mean, look, I, I think the encouraging thing is he is bringing some talented kids in, which points to some ability to close. Uh, but it's like anybody else. We tend to do the things we want to do and not do the things we don't want to do. So I think it's just making up his mind about is this, 
is this really what I want to be long term is in college coaching? Uh, and, and if so, how willing am I to pound the pavement to do that? You know, that that's always been not even not only just with him, but with uh, college coaches uh, in general that come out of the NBA. You know, you, you've had, you know, you think about them, really good players that, that have, you know, Clyde Drexler, uh, uh, Larry Kostodiak, Patrick Ewing, Chris Mullen. I mean, the, the list goes on and on of NBA players who are exceptional NBA players who made tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars going into, uh, you know, the grind of all grinds, you know, coaching college sports. You're talking 16, 18 hours a day. And the thing is, they don't have to do that, you know. He, you know, they could walk away from whatever school they're at, never have to really work another day in their life. So taking on that grind is an issue, you know, for, for, for individuals like that. And, you know, it, it's got to be, and I'm not even just saying that about Jerry Stackhouse. I'm saying that that's been the overall view of any ex NBA player comes into college coaching. Well, and I think he's worth, uh, someone told me something along the lines of $60 million, too. So there's also that. If it's something you don't enjoy, it's not like he doesn't have other options, uh, whether that's pro or just saying, hey, forget this, I'll I'll go play golf and, and enjoy my life that way. I guess that's a point I've tried to make all along is it, it just doesn't seem like that's what he's wanted to be. His eye's always been on the pros, so I think – the next year is going to be critical for him just to make some decisions. And look, maybe he gets out and decides he likes it and he's fine with it. But I think that's the question that everybody's had. I think you and I both have talked to enough people to know we're not talking idly on that topic. Right, right. And, and you know, that's something we'll see. That's something we'll see. Um, it seemed like the players were bought in last year. Uh, you know, they kept playing through adversity and I, I thought that was a, I thought that was a good sign. Uh, now we're going to see what happens as far as, uh, how rosters go and, and, and how the team does next year and how you recruit. So I, I think like anything else, I get asked all the time, you know, let's say somebody gets hired at, at whatever school, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think there weren't many coaches that got fired this year at all but it, it'd be like let's say last year let's say an eric musselman comes in arkansas and somebody would say is that a good hire and i would be like i don't know ask him again four years you know and i think that's the case for a lot there's so many variables and so many question marks and and so many close calls and what ifs that you know it, it just it takes time some sometimes things look like home runs or not and other times it looked like something wouldn't work. I mean, how many coaches have, I mean, people have you heard say in the media rather say, uh, hey, you know, boy, I, I really had Ed Orgeron pegged wrong, you know, so it, it can go either way. You know, there's, I think that's in every sport and in, in, in every every program. Yeah, I mean, and I'll, I'll be clear, I think that too. I think with Jerry, He's a competitive guy. He's done well for himself in life. I think everything you just said in terms of him playing hard uh, is valid. I think that he developed players last year, too. Um, and I think that was a good sign, particularly what he did with Pippen and Lee and Neesmith before he got hurt. So I think a lot of the tools are there. It's just how the rest of it comes together, and, and we've we've hit all that by now. 
Um, here's another one, and I'm sorry I don't have the name of the questioner here. He says, is it out there that Jerry Stackhouse may not be around after a year or two, and is that affecting the recruiting process? No, no, I'm not. I, I honestly, I have not heard that from anywhere, and I don't think uh, I don't think that's that. I don't think there's even any schools negatively recruiting that way. So no, I'll give a, a quick and emphatic no on that one. Well, he's got a six-year deal, and I think he's making around three million dollars a year. So to me, it's it's what other opportunities come up, probably, or just does he decide he, he wants to do it or not. And here's so. the thing, too. Here's what you got to remember. And I think it's the same as a lot of, you know, as a lot of places I, in college sports. I think there's a select few that doesn't have to worry about it. But if you win, you know, then you're, you're, you're going to be looked at for being hired. You know, you know where wins, he goes to you know, he goes to uh, South Carolina, um, and uh, you know, Tommy Tuberville wins at Ole Miss and goes to Auburn. And it's just you—you you have that if you—if you don't have success, you don't make it. And then if you do have success, then there's always a chance of, of you know, of being of moving up to what might be perceived as a more high-profile job. A lot of times it's in college, and it may be in the NBA. So I, I don't think that's uh, – I don't. I just don't think that's different than than, than what a lot of uh, teams face, the only di- – or programs face. The only difference is that, you know, it's probably a little higher profile with Jerry Stackhouse because, you know, whether he wants it or not, you know, we, I guess the NBA is going to be linked uh, around that – name because up to the last two years, you know, he's been a, uh, you know, he's been an NBA lifer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, you I, know, that, that's no fault of his own. I no, don't, I don't think your experience is what you know. Yeah. Well, and I look back on, on his staff and the way he put it together. I don't fault him as much for that as I do Vanderbilt for not having anybody there to help him out and say, Hey, Here's the spring recruiting period, and that's important. If you miss it, you've only got X amount of dates. It's like, where was the guidance inside that university from anybody else to help him out on that stuff and say, hey, man, this is how you need to do it if you're going to have success here? Right, right. And like I said, there, there's a lot of things in, in the athletic programs and teams, you know, at, at Vanderbilt that if they've not worked perfectly or not worked the way you want success wise or administration wise, how things are set up. I, I, I just think there's a lot of times you can't blame the coaches. I think they've had to overcome uh, certain things that have not been there uh, that they need. Well, the thing is, if you want to really have a chance of success, there's two guys that have killed it there. One's Tim Corbin, the other's James Franklin. Neither of them missed a trick. Uh, both of them were all in on development and all in on recruiting. So that's point number one is you've got to do that. You've got to be very organized. You can't miss anything. Um, and I think like you, Kevin Stallings is kind of the next guy because Kevin, I think Kevin worked pretty hard on recruiting for the most part. I think Kevin was very smart and organized and knew how he wanted to run his program for the other. Kevin's personality is what got in the way. 
uh, which you might be able to say that to some degree about James, or at least it might have in the long run, but it never affected winning and losing. I think if you get a great coach, they can win here without much from the university because we've seen it. Uh, but I think that's also where you run the risk if you get a great coach. Uh, the school traditionally has done very little to step up and keep him. I guess you can uh, make Stallings as the exception, but Kevin never succeeded on the level of, of those guys either. Right, and I, I wouldn't – any of those names that you mentioned uh, uh, that were really successful coaches too here, they didn't come across to me as, as yes men either. I mean, they, they – they had their own plan that, uh, you know, that, that I think they knew from day one how they wanted to implement it, and, and it was going to be uh, that way. Oh, no doubt about that. I saw that up and close with both of them, and, and particularly in Tim. Uh, Jor King says, do you think Stackhouse's recruiting strategy is evolving? Yes, yeah. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. As he gets more experience, and you know they they you know he he had to get acclimated, and and he'd been some in the AA, he'd been involved in AAU, but you know I don't think to an extent that he knew all the players were out there everywhere, and uh, I just think uh, evolving uh, into this region, number one, but I also give you another example. I remember when Bryce Drew the first spring that they were out and they were all college coaches, but not at division one that all been mid major at Valpo. And I remember Jake Diebler telling me, you know, he said, here I am, you know, we go that spring and we're kind of looking at kids and, and, uh, uh, I'm trying to Kyle young, who's the power forward end up going to Ohio state. And, um, he said, um, here I am sitting here watching him play and, you know, I'm sitting in between and uh, Tom is uh, recruiting him for had a relationship with him for three or four years, you know, and here I am, you know, right off the bat coming out trying to catch up with that in, in three or four days. And he said, you know, you just can't do it. And, and, and I think that is a case too. That is, that's why I always said 2021 was where I really think you could tell how well they recruit because then they've had two years to build relationships with these players it may sound like this year like you know you've been there a year that's plenty of time and building relationships it's not if, if you've got a kid that was offered by school when they was a sophomore and that's when programs started to recruit them and you've only had a year I mean you're still behind eight ball a little bit well I'll give him this I think that Bryce and that staff their process and, and ethic about how they got after it in recruiting was was easily superior to this one's, but at the same time, I think a year in, I think that so far Jerry's brought in better players. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe so too. You know, and I go back to that, you know, that first class that they had. Uh, you know, it was uh, Educa Benna, it was Saban Lee, and it was Max Evans. And, uh, you know, uh, Max fell just right out of that top 150, and Edge was in it, but I, I don't believe he was a top 150 player. So, um, yeah, I, I think it, this class, to what he's done so far, you know, matches up very well with what Bryce did in his first one. Well, and where I wonder if he will change, okay, because I think, in fairness to him, a lot of his thought was we will get transfers. Well, 
if we heard the last staff complain about that once we heard it a thousand times about how hard they were to get in, I am wondering if his experience in his first calendar year on the job will change his approach. I think maybe uh, as far as grad transfers go, that was more of an issue than transfers because – when you got into the grad transfer thing, a lot what you had to be able to do in Southeastern Conference was you had to offer a major to these players that the other school didn't offer. So in other words, it had to halfway look like an academic issue, where it's like, hey, the reason I'm going from school A to school B is because you know I want to get in grad school and school A didn't have my major. So, you know, that that's really what that was kind of set up around. Of course, that's, that's nowhere near the reason now that it's used for. But anyway, you um, you look at that, and, and Vanderbilt didn't have nearly as many majors as a lot of bigger public schools. So uh, they had trouble getting, getting the players in. I think they, you know, you're looking at two transfers coming in next year. I think they'll add more transfers that, will be ready for the 2021-22 season. And I think a lot of times that's kind of the way uh, a lot of times you have to set things up. I mean, if you were to look at the the year Gonzaga played North Carolina in the finals, they played South Carolina in the Final Four. I mean, that whole game between Gonzaga and South Carolina was made up of international players and transfers. And – uh, I, I just call it creative recruiting, and I think even more. You've got over a thousand transfers this year. I mean, it's just the transfer portals went nuts. So you've got an opportunity to bring in kids like that. Uh, so I, I think you're going to have more, and and I think you've got to find a way too for if you're going to be successful for your your roster to get old, and and to have twenty twenty one twenty two year old kids on it and. And transfers, you know, are a way to do that. So I, I definitely expect them to, to to keep looking in that direction. Well, I think it's a great approach if you can make it work, okay? Because yeah, a yeah. kid who's 21 years old has been through college, knows what that's like. You see, I'll give you an example. You may not remember this kid, but Chris Williams in football was a really smart kid. I think he was going to major in engineering, but... Chris didn't understand the work that went along with Vanderbilt, and Chris didn't play to his third year on campus for that reason. Now, went on to become a first-round pick, but uh, intelligence was never the question. It was the maturity and the being ready to handle that. So I think from that standpoint, transfers are a good strategy then. For the, the problem, though, was admissions. And I think right. that's where I'm wondering if that changes him it's not just being able to get them in school and God help him if he tries to get a grad transfer, but it's the thing that we always heard about is like we can't even get quick answers. The cycle on transfers, David, you know this. Man, these guys hit the market and a week yeah. or two later they've decided on a school. Well, it takes and them three weeks to get answers most of the time. Yeah. And that's what, well, that's what I always heard from a, a Jake Dabler and, and, and guys like that and Bryce's staff was, uh, the problem, you know, he said, Let, let's say we go recruit a player, we go to AAU tournament. And, you know, you'll have an EYBL tournament. Let's say they go to Indianapolis and it's the first one of the spring and they see 10 guys that they like. Well, 
those tournaments normally would start, if not next weekend, in two weeks under normal circumstances. So you start seeing offers rolling out on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, just by the dozens, and you would see Vanderbilt hadn't offered anybody. And, you know, Missouri might have offered seven or eight players, and Ole Miss might have offered ten players. Well, the thing was, you were looking at a three- to four-week process just of administrations going through to see if they could accept the, you know, these prospects. So, like you say, that is something. It's delayed, and they're fighting the time battle. The other thing, too, I think on the other end of it, and I do think this staff has caught on to it, is you can't really miss on players uh, – when you sign them, it's not like you can afford to be wrong on two or three of them because the Vanderbilt degree holds so much sway that kids are not going to leave. If you, I mean, you have a kid, very few by their sophomore year, and it doesn't work out, well, I'm going to go somewhere else. I mean, they're thinking, hey, I'm a year away, two years away from getting a degree at Vanderbilt. And, you know, we've seen that before, and I don't want to name names, but you can probably name two or three off the top of your head in the last three years that you, you couldn't run them off of a stick, you know, because there's no way they were going to pass up getting that degree. So, you know, you, you, you can't be wrong on misevaluating players either. Yeah, I could not agree with that more. You know, I go back and I look at the biggest mistake I think he made his first year, and it might not have mattered because Ohio State's home for him, but, man, I would have just – if I'm him <clears> – <throat> I'm practically holding Jake Diebler hostage to not get him to leave. Yeah, and, but, you know, I said that the year before, or, or the the not the year before, but the administration before, coaching administration with Adam Cohen. You know, yeah. I really wanted to see him keep him off, off Coach Dolling's staff when Bryce came in. But, you know, it worked out well uh, because he, uh, you know, he's from Ohio, um, you know, and, and he, he had a chance to go to Ohio State, and and I think he would have, have, have taken that at, at any opportunity. And Roger Powell always also went to Gonzaga, so uh, you know that those opportunities they had, especially with Jake to stay, I, I don't know that he would have stayed even if he had been offered. Vandy fan ninety six says, "Do you think?" there will be adjustments slash downsizing to coach Jerry Stackhouse's staff. No idea. And, and it's even harder to say now because of everything with the coronavirus. And I, I know this, uh, watching, you know, college uh, sports shows talks of Paul Feinbaum, for example, uh, they were talking about, the changes that you would see in college sports in general, they think there's going to be a, a just a, a, a general downsizing the college staffs. And they say, like, for example, if uh, you're the University of Alabama football, instead of eight people working in the nutrition, sports nutrition, you may have four or five. Instead of, of eight to ten people in, in the weight conditioning program, you may have four or five. So uh, they tend to think, you know, uh, the, the college athletic programs are, are going to lose tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions. There was a Big Ten program, I'm trying to remember which one it was, but I saw yesterday 
where they said that they were going to lose seventy million. They might have been Minnesota that they were planning on, on looking right off, uh, just initially here losing seventy million dollars out of their budget. So I, I I don't know if it will affect that end of it at Vanderbilt, but I, I would think that with all this, uh, you know, what you're going to be, donors, boosters, you know, they're probably looking at their pockets right now and. The I don't think scenario, you know, it's, it's going to be good. Uh, so I, I just think there's a lot of water going to that bridge. But I would think just across the boards in college athletics, you're, go, you're going to see some, some, some cuts, if not slashes. Last question. Do you know if there will be continued upgrades soon to Memorial? I presume he means continued from – 2001 or whenever the last time they did anything was, but um, that's the question. Uh, you you tell me, Chris. Are they going Are they going to add another chair down on the on the baseline on the bench? Or, or you tell me. Yeah, I mean they might. Um, you know, if like the three point line is getting a little blurred or something, they might give that a paint job. <laughs> um, maybe maybe dust off the front row. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I, in all seriousness, from what I heard, this was right after Turner left. This was right after the calendar turned over to March. I think they were working on about a $200 million campaign for different stuff. I think it would have included basketball. But the school is undefeated when it comes to getting in the way. So I would take the school versus improvements every time until Chris, I see I'll it. I'll say this, too. Even if they had the best intentions all on to go all the way through with it, it's a different world right now than it was. Yeah, it is. Know, that, that too. March, and that's what makes March it. March the yeah. 9th or February the 9th. I mean, it's. I, I think colleges and universities and, you know, just not even looking at, at athletics and sports, they're, they're really – going to be taking a long look at budgets. I, I I just couldn't see, no matter who it is, like I said, I mentioned like the University of Alabama and football and, 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 and even in, in just the arms race of facilities that you have in the SEC, I would have to think with the hit that universities are going to take across the board financially and, and just, just where, you know, the economy is going to have to come back and, I, I I just can't imagine them going through with some kind of, of, of just some type of big capital campaign to to raise money because you know they're they're just going to put their facilities in, into a new space age. I I just don't think that can happen right now conceivably. Well, that's very important. I think anyway, it was going to be difficult. I think development has been getting in their way again to some degree. I don't know all the details, but I know enough to know that was an issue. Um, and I mean, I think now competition for dollars is just going to be more scarce. The next time that they give athletics a preferred seat at the table will be a first. So I think all those things put together. Now, the one thing I will say is I think that if you are making a case for Candace Stoyley, I think that university is very invested. Just read the press releases and having a female minority in that position. And so for that reason, this is me speaking hypothetically. I wonder if they might not be more inclined to do her some favors than they would other people uh, to help her out. Um, because I think that's what they want in that spot. 
but I don't know that it'll matter. Well, it, it may to, I mean, if people look at what's going on, it may take the pressure off. If you're saying, well, I thought you were going to do this and we we're going to do that. And, you know, she can always come back and say, well, no, we're not, but, um, uh, we can't do that right now. And I think people ought to understand that, but you also have to think too, this is not the way she wanted to, and it's out of her control. This is not the way she wanted to start things out when, when you're looking at a, you know, a total shutdown uh, of the school and finances and, and, and boosters and everything else and donors. And, you know, that, that's not the way you want to, you know, you want to get off and start out. No, and I go back to her press conference. What at the time we were in the big run of the biggest, you know, one of the biggest bull markets um, combined with unemployment rates, maybe the biggest we've ever had. And even under that, I mean, and you can watch the video. She would not commit to anything other than that they were looking to raise money for a football locker project, which had been six to seven million. And when she was asked about that, she said it would come in at under five. So if those were the conditions then, I can only imagine what they could be now. Right. David, anything else that we did not get to tonight that is worth our discussion? David, I lost you a minute there, but I appreciate you coming on the show tonight. Yeah. Tell people where they can find you on Twitter and tell people the stories you are working on right now at VandySports.com. Well, you can find me at Coach David Sisk on Twitter. If you're not following me, please do that. Uh, we're going to be working quite a bit here, uh, hoping to have an, an interview with uh, Tyrone Lawrence uh, coming up this week. We, we, he and I text sporadically, so um, I'm hoping he can uh, uh, find a little bit of time to do that. We're trying to find out more on William Jeffress. Um, hoping to get with his father in the next few days. So uh, we're we're going to really uh, try to have as much as possible on the uh, 2020 recruiting class uh, for the rest of this month. You know, he is a couple of quality recruits, I think, from potentially putting themselves in a good spot two years from now. I don't have huge expectations for this fall. We don't know about McBride and where that's going and even whether he'd be eligible. I just don't think they have a lot of talent. Cleavon Brown would help. Um, but, you know, you look at this and you say two years from now, Pippen's a junior, Harvey's a senior, um, D'Souza's a junior, Malord Brown's a sophomore, Obina's a senior. Uh, you know, if McBride is in there and working out, maybe that's a huge boost to them. Again, we could see that going either way. But you can start to finally maybe see some seeds uh, for for some hope probably two seasons from now. Yeah, and we, we'll wait and see what, you know, Saban Lee does. I know from, uh, we hear some different things. But, you know, if Saban Lee did happen to come back, you know, I, I think this is his team next year. A challenge to – and I don't know, maybe I'm I'm putting cart before the horse, but if he comes back and 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 uh, some of these players, uh, a DJ Harvey and a Cleavon Brown could contribute the way I hope they would. You know, I think this is a team that could uh, maybe push to go 500 in the SEC or or at least you know win six or seven games. So um, 
you know, th- things are going to have to fall right. I mean, there's no doubt about that for, for next year. But, I mean, there's no doubt Rome wasn't built in a day, and uh, this thing had gotten a bad shape, but it's not going to be built up overnight. But it looks to me like, you know, it's starting to trend in the right direction. Yeah, the, the Lawrence one to me was a big one, not just because they needed a player, but because, okay, a lot of schools right now – I think this, the recruitment in the spring for those players gets a little disproportional. In other words, you're, you're chasing a couple thousand players or a couple hundred who can really play at this level in the fall. At this point, you might be chasing a dozen nationally, and a lot of those kids are not coming your way because they're going to Kentucky or Kansas or somewhere like that. So the pool of guys that you can get at this stage that are potential difference makers is pretty small. I can't think of many that they've gotten. Jeff Taylor would be one, but I do think it, it seems to me, based on what we know, that this this would be encouraging for that reason. Yeah, I mean, like I say, if they could get a, a Kerwin Walton, man, that that would be just incredible. But uh, like you say, it's it's if you go out and look at players right now that uh, are unsigned, that are going to be difference makers that they could get in on, there, there's just not a lot of them out there. No, and that's why I was discouraged for their chances after last fall. I thought, well, if if Studi is all they got. They're going to be hard-pressed to find a difference maker in the spring, but give him credit, he did. And uh, a long way to go before we know what to expect for next year. I don't think Saban Lee's coming back. I'd be very surprised. But it's not 100% impossible. Uh, The McBride matter we've gone over, you know, if they can land a transfer too. Suddenly things are, are certainly looking up. And wherever this turns, David, you'll have us covered. I appreciate everything you do with the site. I appreciate you coming on this podcast be safe have a great easter weekend and again thank you so much for joining us tonight i'm chris lee the host of the vandy sports podcast we appreciate you listening and we'll have more episodes coming your way later next week